Hey, everybody. This is Matt Sparaza. Just a quick announcement before our episode begins. My co-host, Father Sam Kachuba, is doing a two-minute daily gospel reflection for Veritas Catholic Network. It's available on the radio at 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, or if you're out of range, it's available on our Instagram, the tangent underscore Catholic. It's a very quick and easy way to get your daily dose of the gospel. I encourage you to look it up. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, consider liking and subscribing on your preferred platform. Consider looking us up on Instagram, the tangent underscore Catholic, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. We appreciate all the help. Enjoy the show. I knocked over the microphone immediately. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, welcome to the studio. Yeah. This is cool. Like we haven't had a chance to record in the studio. Yeah, yet. first in uh in studio. Have we recorded here before? No. No, we've uh we've been here before. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We have of. we have been here at the same time, but we've not actually we've done been any here recording. at the same time, walked in this room and said, I can't wait to record here. <laughs> and then three months later we finally got around <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah. 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 yeah it's it's about that. We're in the Veritas Catholic Network studios in Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, in a building that also houses some other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say, don't give away our address. No, man. we're just like up on the third floor. We got the like the, the great <laughs> view out the window of uh, that building next door to us. And it's, yeah, there was great. a cop car that drove by. Was it really? I didn't oh, see yeah. it. I missed it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starn. Anyway, hey, this was, uh, this was a nice time to, to, get, to be able to get up here into the studio and to, to do this. So yeah, this, really is, uh, this is a new and improved experience, folks. Yeah, and it was cool to have a guest who came to us remotely. Mm-hmm. And yet we were together. Right. We've gotten used to having, if when we have a guest, we are in three different locations, unless it was Renee Day or when Dr. Greg joined us. Yeah. You know, otherwise, yeah. we've been entirely in, in different places, different towns, different cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Renee oh, Day Part 2 is coming soon, folks. I oh, can't wait. I feel like can't I say wait to folks a lot when I'm on the radio. I think you're allowed to. This feels right. It seems like a radio-ish <laughs> thing to say, right? Uh, folks, uh, yeah. Or an airline pilot, you know. <laughs> folks, we're taxiing down the runway now. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, uh, I have to be honest uh, that this was one of the interviews that I felt less prepared for. Mm. Didn't have a chance to read Father's book. It's a book by Father Basil Nortz called Holy Silence. It's available from Sophia Institute Press. I had never heard of Father Basil Nords before. No, nor had I. Super um, interesting man. And and really insightful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if he wasn't in Brazil, I'd be thrilled to talk to him and see, hey, maybe he's got some room for a spiritual direction or something like yeah. that. But, you know, the yeah. whole thing of him not being in the country does make spiritual yeah. direction a little bit tough. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a spiritual director? Uh, at the moment, I'm actually I'm not with a spiritual director, but I have a good lead. One of the CFRs suggested somebody for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to be getting in contact as soon as I can. Nice. Because that is very much on my mind. Yeah. 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 How often should someone go to spiritual direction? Oh, that's a good question. I think it kind of depends on, on the person. Like, I should really be going to spiritual direction at least once a month. Right. Um, right. And so when I tell you that I was I'm, thinking I'm, once a month, that yeah, was. When I tell you that I've not been seeing a spiritual director, it's not something that I like. I'm not, right. It's not yeah, something yeah. that I want. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a need that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, You're needy. Ge- I am so <laughs> needy. Oh, my goodness. Generally, once a month is, is the 
the practice. Yeah. You know, sometimes people might need spiritual direction a little bit more often. Yeah. Um, at a particular moment of their life, and so a little bit more intensive direction can be can be beneficial. But yeah, generally, once a month is enough. Of course, the best part of this intro is that that's not what Father Norris's book's about. <laughs> no, we're talking about silence, and uh, we've just been talking an we've awful been lot. Talking here. about also, not his book. Okay, can can I say something about a mistake that I made in this interview that I just want to clarify here? I used the word proscribed, and I should have said prescribed, because prescribed means that this is the the time that is set aside, or this is the thing that is set aside. This is the thing that is that is required. Mm-hmm. Proscribed means this is the thing that is forbidden. Okay. Right. So something that is proscribed is not allowed. Something that is prescribed is called for. I promise not to add a laugh track when you screw up. Please. I mean, <laughs> I think it would be great. You're you're a wonderful editor, and I think you're very capable. Anyway, folks, holy silence. By Father Basil Nords. It was. It, this was a great conversation. Um, He's such an interesting man. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Very insightful. So insightful for for everyone. It's this is a this is a this is a topic that you would think would be overwhelming for the layperson, um, but it's not. No, no. I well, you know. <laughs> so I think enjoy it's the a, silliness of listening to us talk. I know about silence. Uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to The Tangent. Father Basil Nortz, it's so good to have you here with us today. Uh, great to meet you. This is the first time we've, we've had a chance to meet you. Absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Me too. Yeah. I'm very happy to be with you. Yeah, We're grateful. Father, can you tell us a little bit, just first, where are you coming to us from? And uh, the, the, tell us a little bit about your, your community, your religious community. And so I'm... Actually, right now I'm coming to you from central Brazil. That's where I'm, I'm living in a monastery. I'm originally from a small town in Youngs, uh, called Youngstown, New York, which is just north of Niagara Falls, New York. Grew up in a Catholic family, went to Christendom College. Well, actually, before going to college, I um, discovered my vocation to the priesthood in a, during a pilgrimage to Fatima as a youth. I was around 16 years old, went with Father Robert Fox to Fatima. And there, during the pilgrimage, I, for the first time in my life, came to the conclusion that I was called to the priesthood. Mm. And then after finishing, graduating from college, I discovered this order, which at the time did not have yet a house in the United States. The only houses were in Europe and and Brazil and other countries. And so to join the order, I had to actually go back to Fatima. I spent my first year in Fatima, Portugal. Then my novitiate was in Braga, Portugal. And then after making my first vows, I was sent to Brazil. To This is where this monastery is where we have our major seminary for the formation of priests. And so I spent six years studying here, was ordained here in 95. And then after ordination, I was sent to the United States to help found the first house of our order in the United States in yeah, 1995. Wow. That's amazing. So I spent seven years in the United States. Where's that house? And so it was in, originally it was in Detroit, Michigan. We were helping out in a parish, Assumption Grotto Parish in Detroit. Now we have our house as in, is in the Steubenville Diocese in a small town called Carrollton, Ohio, is where our new monastery is. Amazing. I'm currently a student at Franciscan. In, uh, okay, very good. Yeah. 
You have to come visit our monastery sometime. Yeah, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Wow. So are, are you the only American in the community? I mean, how many other Americans are there, given that you're we in have, this international um, community? Probably around five or six or seven Americans at this time. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's the, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the name here, the Canons of? The Canons Regular of the Holy Cross. That's, okay. And, yeah. and how would you describe the spirituality and the charism of the Canons Regular of the Holy Cross? Yeah, so the, the original monastery was founded in Coimbra, Portugal in the 12th century. And it was originally founded, the original founder, Dom Tello, for it was interested in the, he was concerned about the formation of priests. It was deplorable formation of the priest at the time in Portugal. And so he wanted to, yeah, so that was part of the, the, the charism for the, from the very beginning, mm -hmm. the formation of priests. And it continues until now to be our mission in the church. So that's why we run this seminary here mm -hmm. in Brazil. It's not only for our order, but for other communities and also for the diocese here. Mm -hmm. So it's an international seminary here. But it's also being the order of the Holy Cross. It's, it's a spirituality centered on the passion of our Lord. And so we have a very interesting structure of our, our week. Every week is for us like Holy Week. Every Thursday is like Holy Thursday. We have a vigil of prayer until midnight every Thursday to accompany our Lord in the garden of Gethsemane. And every Friday we have a vigil of our Lord in the time of the cross from noon until three o'clock. And then Sunday is always you know, the resurrection as it is for the universal church. But that's part of a, it's something that marks our spirituality very much as yeah. a devotion to the passion of our Lord, but also to Our Lady uh, um, and also to the Holy, holy Angels. Mm -hmm. And so the original order already had a, an interesting devotion to the angels, particularly the angel of Portugal. So this was in the original monastery in Coimbra, there is a chapel in honor of the angel of Portugal. So this is before mm -hmm. Fatima, before, sure, before the angel, angel appeared began to the children, to of Fatima, yeah. to wow. the children in Fatima. So there was already a devotion to the angel of Fatima. This was something that was already part of the popular spirituality in, in Fatima? Um, or in, in Portugal, was, rather? I don't know me. how popular it was in Portugal, but in our order, it was a huh. devotion. Now she had an image, a statue of our, of that represented the angel of Portugal. And so they had a certain veneration for the guardian angel of Portugal. Wow. Beautiful. Wow. And, and that really opens up Fatima a little bit, too. That's I was going to say, awesome. with, the, with the angel that appears to the children at yeah. Fatima... Uh, to, to see that there's this this community that comes out of out of Portugal that that has this already deep devotion to, to the angel yeah um, and then of course that deep Marian piety also going going in there yeah yeah Very powerful okay. so the order was founded at the same time where when Portugal was being founded as a nation when it was for the first time separating from Spain so the first king of Portugal was a third order member of our order. Mm. He's buried, his tomb is in the church, monastery church in Coimbra of the monastery of the Holy Cross. And also the, the tomb of the second king of Portugal is also in the monastery church in Coimbra. So 
Our order was responsible for the re-evangelization of Portugal after the reconquest from the Muslims. So it was something that was intimately united with the, the spirituality of Portugal from the very beginning. And it's an order that remains only in Portugal, that only had monasteries in Portugal. And so when the Portuguese government became anti-Catholic in the 19th century, it expulsed all religious communities from Portugal. The Dominicans, Jesuits, Franciscans were expulsed mm. and our order only had houses in Portugal. And so the order died in the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. And then it was revived again by a group of people called the Work of the Angels. It's a spirituality that grew up in the last century, you know, 1949, began. And the members of this community wanted to begin a new order. And they petitioned Rome, and Rome said, well, if you want, you can find an old order to restore. And they discovered this old order that the spirituality fit perfectly. Mm. It was amazing. It was, it was providential, evident, yeah. where it had the devotion to the cross, the devotion to Our Lady, the devotion to the angels. Every The different elements of the work of the angels was found in the order. So the, the church, I mean, it was John Paul II that gave the decree of restoration of the order in 1979. And so it's an ancient order, but it's relatively new. Yeah, and at the time that you joined it, it would have been relatively newly restored. Yes. Wow. Yes. What's it like being part of a, a community that's that's coming back, uh, that's that's being restored in that process? Because you don't hear very often about communities being restored. You hear about communities maybe being reformed or new communities being formed, but you don't hear about old communities being restored to something. So that's a whole different process. Yeah, it is. The, the first priests of the order, many of them were canon lawyers and they knew how to regulate all these different things. I came, um, so 79 where it was restored and I came in 87. I joined the order or the end of 86. Okay. So they were already, they, they were able to establish themselves pretty well in at least 10 houses already wow. by 86 in Portugal and Germany and Austria and Italy and in Brazil and in India as well. So I already had a number of houses by the time I already joined, but when I came here in Brazil, it was the very beginning of this monastery. Mm. And it's <laughs> a lot of, we're actually celebrating this next Saturday, our 40th anniversary of this monastery foundation and I'm, I'm doing a research and seeing how it was 40 years ago I mean, it was just an empty field 40 years ago but now it's grown up quite impressively oh that's great now, you, you mentioned yeah, but it was an adventure yeah <laughs> I can imagine you mentioned taking every Friday as a community and, and keeping keeping that vigil from noon to three uh, what what form does that vigil take? Is it is it a time of, of silence? I know on Good Friday there's often that tradition of keeping silence in the religious houses or in your own home even from, from noon until 3 until you start the celebration of the Passion. What, how do you as a community celebrate that? Yeah, for our community, the, the silence begins already Thursday night at 9 o'clock and it goes until Friday until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So that's a time of silence. 
Um, because we have classes on Friday morning, we have to talk during classes. But other than that, it's a time of silence. And there's always time of prayer. I mean, the idea of the, usually the Blessed Sacrament is exposed mm -hmm. in the church during this time. And so, and there's um, Thursday evening and also Friday afternoon, there's one hour in each of these times of community prayer, meditation on the rosary or the, the ways of the cross or some meditation on the passion every week. Mm. I love the idea of structuring the week uh, as though every week is Holy Week, kind of entering into those mysteries and remembering that these are here. I mean, the classic spirituality would always have those divisions, you know, Friday being the day of, of real uh, prayer and fasting, mm -hmm. uh, Thursday being the day of the Eucharist, the day of the priesthood. Uh, so I, I just love this this idea of, of having it set up in such a way and that you're able to then enter into the week and really take that week to, to dive into the passion. Because so often we we delay thinking much about the passion. If we think about it, we might think about it on Friday. Yeah, you know, maybe Friday becomes the, the day for fasting, and and <laughs> if you're if you're pious, you go and you do the Stations of the Cross or something. And right. Then, and then in Lent, then we, we really crank it up during Lent, and and all the parishes have public Stations of the Cross and everything. But we, I, I love this idea of, of having the passion centrally located every single week as as part of what you're doing, so that Sunday can actually stand out really as the Lord's Day because you've also entered into the passion. Yes, it really makes Sunday more <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah, joyful. Sure. Yes. I have to gone through that. In my experience, I mean, among, among the lay faithful here, uh, there has been a, a great increase in recognizing Friday as a penitential day. Oh, yeah. I know, I mean, I, I'm, I was going to say, I know growing up, I didn't recognize it. That could have just been adolescence. Um, <laughs> actually, I mean, it certainly was, but it, you know. There's a possibility it was but, just you were a teenager. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> when you're 16, you know. Um, but but nonetheless, I do, I do know a lot of young adult Catholics that recognize, like, I should be fasting on Friday. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't something I heard very much growing up, so. So, Father, would you, would you look at that and say there's, it's a reflection of that spiritual hunger that's present in the world, that there's a recovery now of, of some practices that have been lost, especially things like placing the passion right in the midst of your week. Not so that there's a, an exclusive focus on it or anything, but just because this is something that's important and to enter into, into it, that passion, to mm -hmm. enter into the, the spirituality of the church is, is such a, a necessary thing. Yes. <clears throat> yes, there certainly is a, God is always <laughs> finding new ways to awaken in every new generation, uh, an awareness of these basic principles mm. of our faith and the necess necessity of the cross. I mean, it's the central mystery of our faith. It's the, sim the symbol of our faith, and there's no getting around it. And so the, the, the gift of faith will always bring people to these mysteries, central mysteries, and recognizes not simply some, simply a something to meditate on, a beautiful little meditation of the passion, but to experience it. I mean, it's a whole idea is that the necess necessity of, of the ascetical life, of, of fasting mm -hmm. and uh, of sacrifice is something that's the only way to true joy, because it's the only way to true liberty. Mm. Yeah. And in, in your community with this practice of silence, this will bring us, uh, I think, to the book now. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good segue, right? Yeah, We can, we can is, get yeah. into the book now. <laughs> uh, because that, that 
practice of silence from 9 p.m. on Thursday until 3 p.m. on on Friday, and then I'm sure there's other there's other times of silence, but beyond the the proscribed times of silence, right? This is this is when we have to prescribed, prescribed, <laughs> proscribed. I'm, I'm I'm mixing my words here. That's not good. Anyway, it's one of the two required. Let's say <laughs> mandatory times of silence. Besides the mandatory silence that the order calls for, that uh, the liturgy, the rubrics of the liturgy call for. Besides that, that silence, the practice of silence is something that's much deeper. Um, so let's talk about the book Holy Silence and and what you're what you're teaching here. Yes, and yeah. So there is I mean, in the book I try to explain. Our openness to God's grace and the voice of our guardian angel or the voice of our, yeah, that where God wants to speak to us, it, it requires a, a listening, which, we, which, which requires in its turn silence. We have to be silent so we can listen so that we can obey. But the silence is, there's simply the silence of speech is one form of silence. That's the fundamental. But then in the book, I go through the other different forms of silence, the silence of hyperactivity, to avoid running around, or the silence of the senses, the inputs mm. to a discipline, the discipline of our eyes, the discipline of our ears, and the seeking out of the stimulation of our senses is another type of silence, or the silence of the imagination, how uh, we have to discipline our measure form of these are all very important things for our spiritual life is the imagination is very important for our meditation for our vision of the faith we need to have form our imagination but we have to avoid deforming it with mm. a lot of noise mm. a lot of but also the so the silence of interior conversations to direct those interior conversations that we have towards God mm. rather than waste. I mean, uh, people can go into adoration, perfectly silent chapel, everything is quiet, and then they start a conversation with their next-door neighbor in their head. <laughs> yes, and so they spend right. the hour of adoration not even speaking to, to our Lord, right. Right. but they're so imagining lost in, yeah, some of the exactly. So This, kind this is of, what I should have said. <laughs> And that's, that sounds like <laughs> properly tuning your imagination. If you're, if you're getting lost in yeah. this thought, you know, that's because you've, you've pro improperly uh, you know, subjected your imagination kind right. of. And maybe we can, we can point out the irony of the fact that we're... On a talk show. Yeah, we're, we're having a <laughs> podcast here that is, is used to distract people from things that they're going to listen to in the car so that there's not silence so they can fill up all that all We're that trying stuff to with, help people. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk to them about silence. While, well, let me talk to you about silence. Listen to me while I tell you about <laughs> silence. <laughs> That's why it's a good thing you wrote a book because they can read the book in silence. But, but arguably, <laughs> right, if couldn't reading literature be a way of... of not participating in silence. Also, I mean, I mean, ba I mean, bad literature right, right. is a type of noise. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's also. So is yeah. is the proper distinction then the difference between bad noise and good noise? Well, I mean, I would just say noise is always bad. Okay. I mean, it says a derogative. Uh, it's a pejorative notion as noise. That's what I argue in the book, is that noise is always bad. Okay. But um, s 
I mean, there's um, holy speech and there's holy um, imagination. There's sacred so music. The, the, our emotions right. and so on. Noise would be the disorder of these things. I see. Whereas a harmony, I would say, a harmony of, of sound would be the proper. And so what I try to do in the book is offer a kind of examination of all the different forms of noise and silence to help offer a overview. Actually, it's the book is the product of having preached about these. I gave a, used to give a series of conferences and retreats for over the past 20, 25 years. And so and I, I would always say it's, it's you might be find it ironic that I'm going to give you three conferences about silence. I've <laughs> <laughs> never had anybody talk so long about silence before, but but in fact, it's the idea is to help have insight about the different levels of silence, different forms of silence, right. so the silence of the judgment, the silence of the will, the silence of the emotions and so on. And having a clearer overview of these things helps to have a greater vigilance mm. over these things. Mm. You know, and that's what the, that's the idea of the book. When I make my retreat, I usually go to uh, a monastery up in New York, uh, the monastic community of Bethlehem of the Assumption of the Virgin and of St. Bruno. They're a Carthusian-inspired order, and they, they observe a very strict silence. And when you, when you get to their monastery, you go through the gate and I think from the gate to the first, for the, to the first building is almost a mile through the woods, uh, and it's just it's so it's fantastic. It's the greatest place in the world. I love it, and it's it's absolute silence the the entire time. But I I learned one year driving up there. It's about a two and a half hour drive for me to get to this monastery, and so I was, I'm I'm in the car and I listen to the radio and podcast or book on tape or something, whatever it was that I was listening to. And I got to the monastery and it's completely silent other than the sound of the birds and the, the wind rustling the leaves and the trees and everything. And then you get up to the, to the monastery where the sisters are going to be praying. And that's the first human voice that you hear is the sisters chanting the Psalms. And, and I realized that in, in that whole drive for two and a half hours, it was just constant noise and background noise. And there was, in that time, there was also all the noise that was interior, that that mental noise, those conversations that you're talking about. This, so there was no silence of the mind, nor there, was there silence for my ears. And it was almost too much of a shock for me mm -hmm. when I got to the monastery. And it was really hard to get quiet because I had spent all of this time listening to stuff. And then all the things that were going through my head needed to come out somehow. Mm -hmm. And it took me so long to get past that. So... I figured the next year when I went, I wouldn't listen to anything in the car. So I had a silent car ride. And all the stuff that was in my head started coming out in the car. So that by the time I got to the gate of the monastery and drove through, all of that stuff that was in there, all that, that I was able to get into the silence a lot faster. But it's hard to be silent. We're, we're living in a world where, where silence is made very difficult for a lot of people. So how do you encourage people to start their silence? It's a really long way to get to that question. That was great, though, because that, that's actually the question I wanted to ask. Oh, so, okay, good. Yeah. Well, then we're on the same page. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah um, and it is a challenge. I think it's a challenge. It's always been a challenge, uh, particularly in our time. It's interesting. In the book, I have a quotation from Kierkegaard, 
was writing in the 19th century, in the mid-19th century, saying the world is sick. And if I were a doctor, what I would prescribe is silence. You have to bring the world to silence uh -huh. because without silence, you can't receive the word of God. And if you try to proclaim the word of God through the noise of the world, it will no longer be the word of God. So you have to mm. create silence. So this is, he's writing that in the mid-19th century, before the invention of radio, television, internets. And so, right. So what is he talking about? I mean, what kind of noise? But the idea of, I think people, it's another thing, as people are discovering the, the necessity for fasting, also I think people are, many people are discovering the need for silence, just for your psychological well-being, mm. to unplug, to, dis to turn things off, to put away the phone, put away the computer. But it's something for everyone, even, I mean, I live in a monastery, I've been living in a monastery most of my life now, and I find it's, I mean, it's a challenge to really come to silence, real silence. We, in our community, we have the custom to, in preparation for our final vows, we have two months of silence before making the vows. Oh my wow. goodness. And <laughs> during those, I mean, the, the first couple of weeks, or I mean, at least the first week is just entering into the silence. Yeah. Does, I spend does, the whole, does that mean just, literally no talking for two months? Or I mean, is there is yeah. there like conversation with a director, a confessor? Yeah, spiritual um, director, but that's all. Otherwise, no, wow. no speech, no conversation. No speech, just with the spiritual director. And also prayer, obviously, singing. Right. We have sure, always sure. community prayer. But other than that, just the spiritual director. Wow. But even after living in the monastery so long, also, we have the custom of from time to time when a brother would like, he can ask for a month of silence and live that month of silence. And I've done that as well. And yeah, it takes time because, you know, as a priest, I'm always thinking about I have to prepare these classes or I have to prepare these conferences. And I, even during the prayer, I'll be rather than speaking to our Lord, I'll be imagining giving a conference. So I'm speaking in my imagination to these people and I'm in the presence of our Lord. Sure. So that's not prayer. Wow. Prayer is, I mean, I can talk to Jesus about that conference I have to give to these brothers and so on. I can make it a prayer, but it takes the effort of elevating the mind to God and not just yeah. in the horizontal staying, but it's, it's a, challenge of silencing the inner voices or redirecting, yeah. becoming habituated to elevating our mind to our Lord. Because it's something, this capacity that we have is a capacity of praying always. We can be in conversation with our guardian angel. We can be in conversation with our lady or our Lord at any time, any place in our mind. But so often we direct it to people who aren't present and who can't hear the voice. This sounds like something that a lay person should never try and endeavor into on their own. Um, I, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong there, right? Because when I was reading through uh, the, the beginning portion of your book, I was saying to myself, man, I have no idea how I would go about this. <laughs> um, and and to, to the extent that I could very easily see myself doing this incorrectly and it being harmful. Um, 
So you do have to still talk to your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have to talk to your wife. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but so <laughs> for the lay person that's interested, um, because, because silence has been on my mind, uh, because one of the, because you're just starting a life where you're not going to have silence I know, for at I know. least 18 my years. My son was born two months ago. <laughs> that kid's going to get so loud he, real he, fast. He screams and cries a lot. Um, it is never silent at my house. Um, right. But, but we, I just, I just edited, uh, one of Veritas's other shows, uh, restless. Uh, one of the s- seminarians was interviewed. He did a, he did a month silent retreat. Yeah. Um, so silence has been on my mind this past week. And then, you know, providentially your interview was coming up. So I was actually reading about it. Um, and it's something that I'm interested in, not, not only intellectually, just like it sparks my curiosity, but I, I am a thinker. I've overthought the vast majority of things in my life. Um, <laughs> this is true. And so He's, I've known him since he was in high school. He's definitely overthought most of the things in his life. Yes. And so, and so silence in a way sounds, it's, it's almost like this paradise that's kind of out of reach, you know? <laughs> um, so I would love to be able to cultivate that silence. And to an extent, I think I have in that I have, I have, you know, barred, you know, media after a certain hour mm-hmm. or, right. So I've taken those kinds of steps, but but how do you how do you cultivate the silence that leads to a greater listening? Yeah, it's a very good, That's question. A good question. I like that. The, Thank you. Um, there's a, I have to make a distinction between certain noises that are out of our control, such as a baby crying, right, or, or the traffic. And I promise, or, I go pick him up. I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's good. He's That's a good, good. dad. He's, he's doing his thing. Um, but those noises are not. A problem in themselves. They could be annoying to us, mm. but they're not something that's harmful. As harmful, I mean, they're not harmful generally. I mean, right. There's the quote that I make. I have a quote from um, one spiritual writer who says that even a day that's filled with many noises around us, if we allow those noises to be an echo of God's voice for us, so the child crying is an echo of God's voice to us. I mean, it's it's something that's natural. It's something that's. I mean, we have to look in, see, look into the things of the noises that are out of are out of our control as something God's providence providing for us a, a trial, perhaps, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. to to work with that. Not because don't allow noises that are beyond our control to bring inner turmoil in our lives, but to learn how to accept them and to hear them as God's voice, the voice of God's providence. The problem is what's the real problem is when we are able to choose whether or not to turn on the stereo Mm -hmm. with the loud music or not. Mm -hmm. That's the noise that's where they can be destructive. I mean, to turn on Mozart from time to time or Gregorian chant from time to time, mm-hmm. something that's properly ordered, that's it's done, it's perfectly legitimate. It can be very, very um, refreshing, very necessary, spiritually speaking, right. but in the right measure. But it's the idea of, I try to offer in the book, are those distinctions that are necessary? For instance, this, the silence of speech um, would be 
not would not be holy if it were to lead us to neglect, for instance, speaking to your spouse or speaking right. to communicating, to creating the necessary communion with people around us. That's something because it's an unholy silence to give some somebody the silent treatment right, to right. punish them with our silence. Right. And I think that don't we often think that way, that silence is a punishment. I'm not allowed to talk or I'm I'm not being spoken to or I'm not talking to you. So silence if if we have an attitude in our own in our own minds and hearts that silence is is bad because it's a punishment, because it's a negative, we can we can lose the gift and the beauty of, of what that silence is. It can be that way. It can be perceived that way. But as St. Augustine says, if you're going to speak, speak with love. If you're going to be silent, be silent for love. It's always the motivation mm -hmm. that's behind it. Mm -hmm. So if it's something... But, yeah, it can be perceived as a kind of punishment. But actually, it is a way of opening ourselves to hearing the word. Now, before you were talking about uh, preparing, you know, as, as you're thinking about classes or, or a homily or a talk or something that you have to give a conference and you're in prayer and, and the in that time in the chapel, uh, the talk, the conference, whatever it is, is, is sort of coming to mind and you're, you're kind of reviewing it in, in your mind. But it's not really prayer until you, you make the choice to elevate that to God and elevate that to offer it to him. Lord, this is what I'd like to say. Uh, here it is. And, and you're kind of offering it to him. So. As somebody who does homily prep often in the chapel, and and finds himself reciting his homily to the Lord, uh, wondering if it's if it's any good. Uh, but as soon as you said it's not really prayer, that that hit me, and that hit me very well. That yeah, actually it's it's not. Often I felt inspired. So I've I've been in the chapel praying for a little while, and there's there's this moment of inspiration. So the talk starts to kind of come together. I've also had that while I was fishing, though. So I'm not really sure that prayer is the is the only reason for it. God uses lots of different ways to get to me to give me that inspiration. But how how could I better elevate that moment where I'm I'm thinking through a, a talk or a homily or something? How can I better elevate that so that it becomes something that's prayer and therefore is purified by God's grace in that time of prayer? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's I, I also usually prepare my homilies in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, and usually it's a through a conversation with our Lord and going through the gospel. And what does this mean? And how, do, I mean, this is, I, mean, I just kind of, working through the logic of the homily, but in a form of I mean, looking towards our Lord and, and presenting, as you say, I mean, the, to preach to our Lord is one thing, but to... <laughs> Jesus, let me tell you a couple things Lord. about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but to converse with the Lord and, and to, I mean, to practice, but practice in the presence of the Lord, aware that he is there um, to help us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, he wants to help inspire us. Mm. I see how all of this leads to more silence. Yeah. Like where, as we're discussing, I am saying to myself, if I am speaking, you know, out of love and remaining silent out of love, <laughs> I'm going to be quiet way more often than I already am. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I see how it leads in that direction. Absolutely. Um, 
something else that this conversation has brought up, you know, in my mind is the idea that we shouldn't compartmentalize, mm-hmm. right? The the media that we we take in. I was talk, discussing with a friend a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he he was talking about John Wick Four, uh, which I'm not sure if you know, Father. I'm sure Father Sam knows based off his smile. I'm I'm aware <laughs> of this. I haven't. It's, I haven't it's, been to a movie theater in several years, but I'm I'm aware. Yeah, it's basically a movie about an assassin who just kills a ton of people, and <laughs> and and my friend it's who not a who, very quiet movie. It's it's uh, it's not a very quiet movie. That's for sure. Um, very noisy. But um, my friend who's who's a devoted Catholic, he he went to see it, and then later on he and I discussed it, and he is the one who said to me, watching this movie made me realize, you know that that we should be going as far as to not see any movie that is so explicitly against God's will. You know, like, like that's not a good example mm. of, of charity. That's not a good example of what the Lord's will is. Um, and, and it seems kind of like fundamental, but at the same time, it, I know for myself, it, it really struck me because I love things like Seinfeld, you know, which, which are like, they're all terrible people in, in the show, you know? And it's very noisy, right? It's yeah. not... It's not like there's like, you know, there's heck, there's not even a lot, a ton of vulgarity. Like there's, they don't curse a ton. It's, it's primetime TV for the time. So there was no nudity, you know, like you could, you could look at it and say, that's not that noisy, you know, like you could get away it's, with it's that. It's a different kind of noisy. It's a different, but kind it's of a different it's, kind it's of noisy. The, it's the noisy that is, we always have to be occupied. We always have to be doing something or talking about something. It's a show about nothing, right? Um, it's, yeah. Let's let's be clear though. It's it's one of the best shows ever <laughs> See, created. This is the like, problem though. <laughs> I just like I just like we need to acknowledge that in terms of popularity and in terms of like its its contributions to the zeitgeist, it's it's done some pretty important things. But no, there's the the lack of silence that you see there. It you're, you're right. It's not a quiet show, but it's not because it's noisy in the sense of like high volume. So there's there's always something happening. There's always there's always something that they're talking about. There's always something right. going on, and and that's what's noisiest about our lives, is that we fill them. So you're talking before Father about the the noise of schedule and like being overprogrammed, and like look at what we're doing to our kids these days with uh, all the leagues and everything else that they have to be in. They're they're they go from one game to the next game to the next game to the mm-hmm. next game, and the kids coming into to mass on Sunday, and they're like, yeah, yesterday I had three uh, soccer games for two different teams. And then right. uh, today I have a baseball game, and uh, then uh, tonight after uh, after the baseball game's over, I have football practice. I'm like, why are you playing three different sports at the same time for four different teams? Yeah. It's, we're overprogrammed, and, and we do that to ourselves. Like diocesan priests do it. And Matt and I were just talking about how grateful I am to have a parochial vicar at my parish yeah. um, after three years without one, and like what a gift it is to have somebody I can share that ministry with. But we overprogram ourselves too, don't we? And if that's happening, then the noise... It's it's not just the outside stuff. It's also the way that we've that we've scheduled things. It's it's all of that coming together. So yeah, that desire for more silence, Matt. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. Please, Father. So I mean, there's a different couple of different points. One is I spoke. I speak about in the book when I speak of the silence of activity of our. There is. I mean, we have to be aware that the capital sin of sloth as classically understood has nothing to really to do with laziness i mean in the sense of laziness like work being a workaholic is sloth according to the classical understanding of 
achedia, which is, it's a spiritual sloth. It's a fleeing from the difficulties involved in our relation with God. Hmm. I mean, it's, there's nothing more difficult than more challenging to stand in the presence of God <laughs> with the all-knowing truth. Yeah. I mean, his infinite love. And so man flees from him and he flees by a multiplication of his activities. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of multiplying, becoming habituated to multiplying obligations and obligations, it's a form of spiritual sloth. It's achedia. So this is a kind of lack of silence also. That's but amazing. going back to the original point about the movie, a movie about an assassin who kills a lot of people. <laughs> I, also, <laughs> I mentioned your favorite I movie, about that also yeah, in the book. <laughs> in, the, um, because we, in the custody of the eyes, we, we think about purity, which is good. Mm -hmm. we, we should be concerned about not exposing ourselves to movies with uh, seductive, seductive scenes. Right, yeah. But we don't think about very often how we shouldn't be exposing ourselves also to bloody violence. Right. <laughs> I mean, the old classical movies, I mean, you see uh, Casablanca, when they shoot somebody, he just holds his chest and falls down. You don't see any blood splattering right. out. All right. If you don't, that was enough. You knew what happened. You didn't have to see the graphic details. But it's like in August, St. Augustine's Confessions, he talks about a friend of his who was avoiding going to the Colosseum to see the, um, the gladiator games. And finally, somebody convinced him to go and he kept covered his eyes. But when there was a great shout, he opened up his eyes and he, at the very moment when somebody was being killed. And that, that excited him and he became vitiated. He became addicted to mm -hmm. that watching that kind of thing. I mean, that was real life, right. brutal. I mean, it was something obviously sinful. But even when it's, we know it's not real life, it's something that is just whatever, technology creating this graphic, to, to enjoy watching that, that's something that's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> there is a document sure of the is. church <laughs> about porno pornography and violence in um, mass media. And it, I mean, it, it points out that both of them are very problematic as far as cultivating a true um, respect for humanity. Right. <laughs> so it's something, so just to point and out. And it's very that telling also... those things are coupled together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very right. telling. Now, Father, yes. for, for most people um, who don't necessarily have that opportunity for, say, a, a retreat, a silent retreat, or the chance to, to kind of get away, um, they've got to deal with the daily activities and the daily schedules and the, the noise that surrounds them in, in their world. What advice do you give to people to help them to cultivate a spirit of silence and, and a genuine interior silence so that they can grow in prayer or so that they can help their family to find that silence and mm -hmm. to grow in prayer? Yeah, it's a question of what is really possible for, I mean, if there is a possibility of working into the day a time just to be in an adoration chapel or in the church in silence, but that's not possible for everyone. But in the family, to do what is possible to create um, 
a certain <laughs> appreciation for silence, and even silence in the sense of um, a conversation. I mean, is again, the silence doesn't necessarily mean uh, elimination of all conversation, mm -hmm. elimination of everything, but the proper ordering of these things. And so, I mean. Uh, I mean, my father was very good about that. I mean, the idea of having a television on during a dinner was in th unthinkable for him. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's a time for the family to be together, to converse. We might have an argument, we might, but that's good. That's nothing wrong with that. That's not a problem, as long as it's respectful. <laughs> right. But the idea of um, having noise in the background, always these kind of things to try to appreciate or cultivate to the extent possible times of times of prayer, family prayer is also a very important time of silence mm. because prayer is also the, the harmonizing of our, our voice, our speech. Yeah. I mean, prayer, like silence is something that's more than just the absence of noise, something deeper because I think so often we, we get, we just get locked in on, on the idea of it's, it's quiet. I'm not hearing a lot of stuff, but we're, we're talking here about that, a much deeper level of silence. And I think a much more important level of silence. It's a silence that disposes us to listen to God. And in your experience, as you, as you give conferences and retreats and you're introducing people to that power of, of what silence can do for their relationship with God, where do you find people, first of all, struggling the most? What's the hardest thing for, for people to find silence in? Well, I think some of them, I mean, it's, it's challenging at all different levels. I mean, we go to the silence of judgment, for instance. I mean, our tendency to make harsh judgments of other people or this is, I mean, many people find that challenging or the silence of of emotions or can you further elaborate that what does that mean the silence of the emotions and so um the idea the idea of the virtues of temperance and fortitude is to put into order what i call the concupiscible concupiscible and the irascible appetites which are the passions, but we also in in modern language we call the emo the, the the emotions. I see, love and hate and joy and sorrow. The idea of submitting these to right reason. I mean, so that I mean, it's not to become a stoic to to eliminate them. It's to be. To be passionate, but with reason. Right. <laughs> Properly passionate. Yes. And so the idea of avoiding, again, it's the whole, the, the whole challenge of finding the right measure and the use of the mass media or music mm. or movies or television shows because there's always an emotional impact it's the it's the force of art is to create an artificial representation of something that has an impact on us and it can be very cathartic it can be purifying it be or it can just be something that just 
messes us up. It can just so it's a question of great prudence and vigilance in the use of the different media that are available to mm -hmm. us these days. It's right. It's it's yeah, I, I, and I think that's the key because that I think that's kind of what I meant when I said I could see how I would go into this and then mess this up as someone without direction on it. Oh uh, yeah. Meaning like I would go in and and misunderstand silence to be this stoic kind of silence. All are all are bad as opposed to um you know, it's not it's not all bad. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like some things genuinely lift you up. I, on the way um to my my parents house this 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 afternoon i was talking to my wife and i said how it's amazing that when i find it difficult to pray putting on praise and worship music leads me and it's the the leader is guiding me in prayer and then i find myself in praying independent of them to the music mm -hmm. right and so that's something that that's not necessarily the noise that we're talking about here right that's the that's the proper silence rightly ordered yeah yeah and, and that's the difference. It's that it's rightly ordered. Yeah. Yes. So that's what I tried to do in the book in every level of silence to show, for instance, the silence of memory. I mean, St. John of the Cross speaks of the dangers of allowing the memories, past memories, to contaminate our present experience of God. And so, so, we, so we need to purify our memories. But at the same time, our whole faith is based upon a memory of God's God's wonders right. of, of His work with Israel and with the Church and with our in our own lives. We have to remember the wonders of the Lord. We have to we have to. So the, the idea is every level of of judgment of memory of will and passions and there's always the element that is necessary, fundamental, and it, it just needs to be purified. So the idea of holy silence is how do we direct all the powers of our soul to their proper object, mm. God. And that's our life project. That's so the whole spiritual life. Every time I've, I've preached this, these conferences innumerable times in English and Portuguese and Italian and <laughs> all over the place. And every time I give these conferences, it's for me a reminder, mm. an examination of conscience, mm. and I have to keep, oh yes, I have to work on that, I have to work on that as well, I have to work on that as well. It's always, it's an ongoing thing, it's never ending project. Mm. Now you mentioned uh, St. John of the Cross, and I know that he was massively influential on, on John Paul II's theology of the body. So how much of this, this you know, theology of silence stems from the theology of the body? That's a great question. I like that. Well, idea. it's also the, I mean, so the idea of this, that second form of silence, which is the silence of the body, the silence. So the body, I mean, it's, it's the essential part of our human nature is that we express our faith, not only intellectually, uh, right. spiritually, but corporally. So the idea of sacred worship and the, the genuflection with reverence, so it's not just a, a, a kind of jumping jack exercise, mm -hmm. but it's an expression of an interior reverence. The different, I, I, it reminds me of a story that Scott Hahn told, that during the time of his, his conversion, he went to uh, solemn vespers in Eastern Rite, mm -hmm. 
and he there was these prostrations and there was insensations and there was all these all these gestures and afterwards he was kind of in shock as a protestant who never experienced anything <laughs> right. like that he says finally finally I, I i understand why i have a body because yeah. he, he saw that sacred worship i mean it's the way the apocalypse explain i mean ex, it explain these people are prostrating before the the throne of the lamb and shouting out and so it's very corporal it's it's something that our it's a, our, our worship has to be incarnate and it has to be expressed through the body and so it's something that the theology of the body is a recognition of this intimate part of our nature that has to be spiritualized i mean it has to be elevated and oriented to its proper goal as well hmm. you know that that's an interesting thing i think about uh Going up to this monastery as an example, they've got lots of prostrations in their in their liturgy uh, because they're when the, when they're chanting the psalms, they they use uh, the eastern the eastern chant, and so they're they're kind of follow a Byzantine style of in their in their liturgy. So there's lots of metonies and prostrations and bows and everything. Um, but you look at these at pictures of of the Carthusians in their in their monasteries and the way that they're praying. And they're they're kneeling, and they're kneeling on bare stone, or they're kneeling on on just a plank of wood. There's no there's no cushion or anything like that. You look at the Franciscans of the Renewal when they're when they're praying, and they're sitting right on the ground. They just sit down and they they pray there. They're kneeling. Uh, there's this this intensity of the way that they pray, but they're fully engaged physically. The whole body is is part of that prayer, and, and you can see it happening. And there's there's such a power in that. But you know, most of us like diocesan priests, we're like, give me, give me the cushion, please. <laughs> I would like a more comfortable chair to sit in while I while I sit down to pray my rosary. <laughs> while I sit down and yeah, think, yeah, exactly. And so there's there's a a a way in which I think we become Scott Hahn in that in that in that story. You know, Scott Hahn just overwhelmed by understanding the body. And we wait, wait a second. I'm supposed to use this body to pray in also, because mm -hmm. there there really is such a power in that. I love I love this idea. You know, there's a lot. Um, we've talked to uh, Dr. Greg Bataro about the Catholic mm -hmm. mindfulness mm -hmm. and and these these practices to kind of help to quiet the body, to quiet the mind, and so enter into communion with God. And so through these these practices, just of of kind of calming down, like there's a a physical calm that you have to get to before you can really pray well, before you can really be focused. Uh, then there's the the emotional calm that has to come. There's there's those those other levels of of silence that we really have to get into. Um, Beyond the practical stuff of turning off the TV, turning off the radio, putting the phone on silence and putting it away, um, how do you encourage people to, to cultivate and practice silence so that their prayer can improve? Um, like once they've done those basic things, I turn the TV off, I turn the radio off, I put my phone away, now what? Yeah, so it's an important thing. There's, I mean, there's... The the negative things of, of eliminating the obstacles. And there may be techniques of trying to, to center our attention, to silence our, but in the end, it all leads to a fullness, a content. It has to be directed to a conversation, an openness to the Word, to God, to a personal encounter with Christ. And so it's, it's never just, I mean, the, the, we have these negative 
steps that we have to take in order to remove the obstacles. But once the obstacles are removed and the, the field is cleared, now comes the point, the, the important, the central point of meditation, mm -hmm. prayer. So to find the, the, the traditional, I mean, uh, spiritual readings, taking the sacred scriptures and reading, rereading, and just entering into a conversation with our Lord and, and not simply not in a way that's simply um, theoretical, but in a way that applies to the challenges that we're faced with in every day of our life. And so we meditate on the passion every week, but the idea is not simply to become experts in all the details of our Lord's passion, but to see what, how can I apply his patience to this particular relationship that I have with this particular brother is it's problematic. And so the idea is always to um, apply it concretely to our daily life and to see that it's not, our, our meditation is never simply a theoretical thing, but is very, very practical. It comes down to the nuts and bolts of our daily life. And we have to see how the life of Christ can be realize the love of Christ, I can love with the heart of Christ. How can I love this brother with God, Jesus's heart? How can I endure this difficult situation with the patience of Christ on the cross? And so it's always a very practical thing. That's the, the stuff, the contract, the, that we are, we're preparing the field to, in order to come to our Lord. Mm. That's always the, the goal. And, and an extension of that question regarding myself, but how do I how do I go about raising my son in such a, in such a noisy world, right? <laughs> to to recognize yeah. the the need for silence, I, and and I get, I suppose I'm even asking how do I make this appealing to him? You know, like maybe it'll speak for itself. So <laughs> what a what a phrase. <laughs> It'll speak for itself, the silence. <laughs> but it does. That's the thing. Silence does speak for itself. I mean, I, I think about the, the number of times I've, I've been, as a priest, doing something with, with youth. And you, you bring them to adoration. And you encourage them just to not worry about their phones, just to be with the Lord. And maybe you've got some music to help them to, to guide the prayer. Maybe you give a little talk to get them going inevitably what they ask for is more quiet where there's nobody talking, where there's no music, where they can just sit and, and adore the Lord. There is an attraction. You're right. Silence speaks for itself. It really does. <laughs> and silence does become attractive. And I think we're designed for it. You know, yeah. Would you agree, Father? I think that we're designed for, for a time of silence. We're, we're designed to not always be on, to not always be moving, talking, doing we're designed actually for contemplation too. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's something, it's a challenge of trying to, in the, as, we, as you say, in the modern world, how do you raise a child unless you go to, you know, live in an Amish community somewhere. <laughs> where they, but even the Amish, we, I, in our house in Ohio, the Amish are always walking around with their cell phones. <laughs> <looking for> a, <laughs> you know, so the first time I ever saw an Amish person was at a, uh, it was at a travel center on a highway. 
<laughs> and I was like, you had to drive here. <laughs> How un-Amish you know, of you. The, the Mennonites, they, they, there's, there's, there's variety. <laughs> but the idea is to, from the early, I mean, from an early age, try to, yeah, avoid, evidently avoid the pitfalls that were in the last couple generations. Right. Putting the child using the television as a babysitter, electronic babysitter, right. yeah. to, to become from an early age. I mean, you see children with these electronic gadgets, yeah. and it's just something. Try to avoid. You know, a child is content content with playing with a, a cardboard box, or you know, <laughs> rather than with a lot electronic thing. I mean, just to have, you know, to avoid the, the the tendency of trying to expose the child to these technologies mm -hmm. at, at an early at yeah. too early an age to have them learn how to play silently with you know something tinker toys or legos or whatever right. or the more reading a book i mean to, <laughs> yeah. to form those habits at an early age is very helpful and 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 this conversation and your response actually jogged my memory of a friend of the show Debbie Cowden Debbie Cowden um she when we in in our conversation with her we ended up talking about children at mass and how yeah, the best right. way you know to get your child to uh what was it i guess just like sit quietly yeah, at mass to sit or, quietly, or just right. right yeah is to bring them to mass more often <laughs> Right, and so like daily mass trains you for Sunday. Yeah. And so it's kind of that idea, like I'm connecting the dots and that that's what she was doing. She was cultivating silence for her kids. Yeah. Right, and so bringing, you know, my two month year old son who cried in mass today <laughs> to mass, right? But but it's that idea of like, it's it's your, your, your building practice. Yeah. Right, and so it's just like anything that's, else. That's right on. You don't have to play, you know, football on Sunday. You can just <laughs> practice the silence instead. Yeah. I think that's I think that's right on the uh, yeah the the importance of of creating the space where it's okay for your child to be silent right like where they know that they're not going to have to always be on where they know they can quiet down they know they can yeah. calm down I mean that, there's a reason that even our schools have quiet rooms it, it's a place where the kids can go to calm down where they can settle down where they don't have to be uh, surrounded by noise or, or the chaos that might be at the school so it's yeah there's there's a genuine human need for that yeah and i think there's a real beauty in the idea that the silence leads to total reception yeah you know like just sitting in front of christ in the eucharist and instead of saying something to him just being like lord i'm just gonna take what you're gonna give me right right like that's that yeah. sounds like a dream <laughs> you know, as so as we're recording it's the feast of saint charbel who famously was not only a monk, but also a hermit. And, and he went off and, and the hermitage, there's a strong pull for me there. Like, I, I love the idea of the, of the hermitage. And uh, in, in the other podcast that I do, I was talking about Charbel as a hermit and the attraction of the hermitage. But as you were saying before- You're saying hermitage is attractive and you have two podcasts. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I know, I know. Like, <laughs> we're like the lamb, I got the tangent. It's, it's all great, don't worry. But- uh, it, the irony's not lost on me, Matt. Don't worry. I, I see all of this, but I mean, I think for me, the, the hermitage is more like I, I, it's a getaway. Right. It's it's not a permanent state yeah. of life for me. I, I don't I don't think that's where the Lord. That's wants why me. you go on silent retreats. Exactly. But the the, the attraction there, 
I think is because it's a place where that silence can really be exercised. And so to your point from before, that there is a, a deeper desire once you've experienced a genuine silence and, and that silence that goes beyond just the absence of sound. When you've really experienced a genuine silence, you start to, to hunger for it because it's in that silence that you encounter God, that you encounter the Lord. Now, Father, one of the, the classic scriptures that will be used when encouraging people to silence is the story of Elijah and hearing God in the still, small, whispering voice. Um, I would imagine that's something that comes up pretty frequently in, in your work, that that particular story comes up. How do you, how do you explain that story of, of God not being in the earthquake or in the thunder or in the crashing rocks, but in the still, small, whispering voice? Yeah, it's um, the great challenge of of uh, how we listen to God is, I mean, God sometimes does have to um, shake us up. Sometimes there's thunder. But as a general rule, the, I mean, our, God is very often speaking to us through our guardian angel. The guardian angel is very respectful to our our liberty and our, our autonomy. And so he's very, I mean, he can be very subtle. Mm. And that's the, the normal, normative way that God speaks to us is with very subtle, in subtle ways, um, through the imagination, through what people around us say. Or, and so to be attentive and to try to free ourselves from uh, how do you say, preconceived ideas. I mean, the, one of the problems of hearing God's voice is that we are already convinced of what things, how things are, and so we don't even need to hear his voice. So the, the idea of this, to, be, the, to be disposed to that small still voice is, um, you see the whole process of what the prophet had gone through and he, I mean, he was discouraged. He says, I'm no better than anyone else. He just wanted to lie down and die. <laughs> he just fell asleep in the desert. And the angel kicked him and said, eat and drink. You got a long journey. Keep going. So he, I mean, he went through a lot of purification in order to overcome his own, whatever, his own personal obstacles, mm. but also the different obstacles that were outside of himself. Yeah, but as I say, the idea of the book is to help call attention to all the different forms of, of challenges that we're faced with. I mean, and to be aware that we're not only avoiding things, avoiding, as you say, noise. But it's also positively, so it's also like the custody of the eyes. Something we need to avoid, the curiosity that would distract us, dissipate us. But at the same time, you know, the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, first people who walked along the road didn't want to look at the person who was assaulted. They wanted to go mm. over to the other side of the road to distance themselves. 
so they practiced custody of the eyes. Right. But no, <laughs> that wasn't. Uh, yes. Oh. They entered into silence. It wasn't like our lady who at the wedding feast to Cana says they have no wine. She noticed the needs of others. In the, the Good Samaritan, he sees the needs of others. He uses his eyes yeah. in order to be attentive and to be aware. So that's, that's silence of the eyes is to properly orient our, our being to God. Mm. So it's a question of, yeah, seeing what we should avoid, but also how to properly use the different faculties that we have. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Father, thank you. You've been uh, really generous to, to give us this time. It's great to have you on the show and to meet you. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for this, for this book and for more people to get their hands on it. Uh, the book is Holy Silence. It's available from Sophia Institute Press. We've got a link to it in the show notes. Father Basil Nortz, thank you so much uh, for, for your work and for, for being with us today on The Tangent. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. All right. It was our pleasure. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.